Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning, good morning. That's the mic. Yeah, there we go. Well, stand with me if you would, and those of you at home, go ahead and stand up in your living room, bedroom, wherever you might be, and hold your Bibles up or cup your hands. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm so glad all of you are here, and as you came into the building today, we added a new little dimension to our worship experience. Uh, We now have what I call an information piece. This is not a bulletin. This is an information piece. This is to help you when you go home, if you need our numbers, email addresses, what we're about, if you want to share this with your neighbor, a coworker, the events that we have going on and on the, on the back of this, that way you'll be, it'll be very easy for you to follow, okay? So don't just throw it away. Take it home. Give it to a friend. Give it to a coworker. Tell them about Mosaic. It'll be a piece that will help them understand what we're about and what we're doing, Okay. Well, today is a, uh, a very unique day, and I'm going to preface because it's ready to our tech team so that they can have everything prepared to put on the screens as necessary. However, every Sunday morning, I wake up at about 6 a.m. with the idea in mind of saying, God, I have prepared, but if you want to edit anything, feel free. God is a major editor. <laughs> Without fail, I get up, I'm praying, I'm spending my alone time in the dark, and God begins to, if you will, impress or speak to my heart about what he wants to say. Well, this morning, to my surprise, I'm talking to Brian, my dear friend of many, many years who helps me every Sunday morning just to kind of keep my head together while Susan's running, doing her thing, and and Brian's kind of there with me, and uh, we're all just real busy. And we began to talk about this issue of mental illness Uh, it's kind of ironic that I'm doing a series this month entitled Damaged Goods. And uh, many of my friends knew the pastor in California who took his life uh, this past week. It was heartbreaking for all of us who are in our profession, if you will, to hear of this tragedy. Uh, At the same time, it's, it's one of those things that his loss... And the loss that his family has incurred stands the chance, if we utilize this loss wisely, to help prevent such losses in the future. And uh, mental illness has been something not talked about, especially in our profession. As pastors, we're supposed to be the ones telling everybody how to, to deal with the challenges they have mentally. And so many people are embarrassed or shamed by Uh, mental illness or even the acknowledgement of possessing mental illness. And it is such a tragedy that we have dismissed it, not talked about it, because many, if not most of us, have experienced mental illness noticeably. 
Uh, and some of us, it's genetic. Some of us, it's cultural, environmental. We grew up with it, around it, and it affects us in different ways. And, and so this morning, I, I get up, and I'm trying to read and put things together, and, and I knew about the suicide, but this morning, when I pulled up USA Today online, it was the top story, Jared Wilson's story. And in reviewing the story, as I talk about damaged goods and, and why we are damaged, and, and that's oftentimes pretty easy to point out. We've been abused. We've been criticized. We've been avoided. We've been neglected. So many different things that contribute to mental challenges or mental illness, if you will. Those are not the difficulties. Pointing out the reasons, that there are many. Trying to find a solution has become the great challenge. How do we address it? How do we deal with it? When someone fails, how do we respond to it? And, and oftentimes, mental illness causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do. And I grew up the happy child in a family of five, one brother older than me, one brother younger than me, and in a very fearful environment, uh, a home that was rather negative. And I love my mom and dad. Uh, my dad is with Jesus today. My mom has uh, Alzheimer's, and she hasn't known me for years. And uh, I had an uncle that looking back on my life, an uncle that went through great depression in his own life. He was also a minister, which, by the way, my profession now boasts the third largest suicide rate of any profession in the world. And uh, I think it's because we are put in a position where we are supposed to have all the answers. And we're supposed to tell you those answers and get you through those without having any challenges of our own. And uh, about six years ago, I found myself in such deep depression, I didn't even know I was depressed. But I remember every week I'd be getting on an airplane to go to China or Africa or South America or Europe or you name it, around the world, and then come back and preach five times on Sunday morning. I was literally killing myself without realizing it. And I found myself getting on airplanes, and, and literally as I would walk onto an airplane, I would put my hand on the airplane, and I would ask God to let it crash. Now, get this, this is how strange it was. I didn't think anything about it. I just thought, and I didn't want to kill myself, but I was sure inviting myself uh, into a place, a position uh, where it would be very possible for me. And, and at the time, I didn't dare share it because I was the chairman of the board of an organization in Haiti that had a, a huge hospital, a church, an orphanage, a school. I was the president of one of the largest charismatic uh, gatherings in the world. We had speakers that I hung out with every year, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen. These were our speakers. I was the president of that organization. Things were flourishing on the outside. It looked like everything in my life was all together. I had arrived preaching at Hillsong in, in Sydney, Australia, Planet Shakers in Melbourne, Australia, and, and just all over the world. And things seemed to be going great. All the while inside, I was dying. But I didn't know who to tell, didn't know if I could tell anyone because I felt like if I did, that it would surely uh, cost me everything. And little did I know that if you don't address those mental illness, it will cost you everything. And, and so you find yourself in a catch-22. And that's where I found myself and, and literally found myself self-destructing. And the only reason I share this with you today is because I was very damaged and uh, for many, many reasons, and, and it was never anybody else's fault. We can all respond to criticism and challenges and, and all of those things in a, in a right way. 
in, in my profession specifically and particularly, uh, you're definitely attacked for what you believe, standing up strong for what you believe. Uh, there's probably not a week that goes by, and I don't need to know about it, but when I had eight to 10,000 people in my church and was all over the world, uh, there, it was pretty obvious that every week I was the topic of many conversations. I would get hate mail. I would get letters from Wiccans. I would get letters from uh, the Satanic Church. I would get cards that were burned on the edge. I would have threats all my life. Things I never talked about because I didn't want my kids to be afraid and I didn't want people in the church to be afraid. So I just never talked about them, so I kept them inside. And those things would eventually eat me alive because I didn't talk about them. I didn't address them. I was too busy watching out for everybody else. Uh, my second thinking, my daughter, who is very close to me, and she would tell you today, even though she's married with two kids, and she even tells her husband, my dad is my best friend. At that time, my daughter, I get a call, and my daughter had been taken to the hospital at 2 in the morning. I get a call from my son, and uh, she had threatened in her own mind to, to take her life. And I'm at the hospital at 2 in the morning, and it's a Saturday night of all nights for someone to want to kill themselves. It always happens on a Saturday night for a preacher. So I get up. I go to the hospital at 2 a.m. I spend the next four hours with my daughter there uh, before I went home and showered and changed. And guess what? Yes, I went and preached five times that Sunday morning with my daughter on my mind in the hospital uh, who had threatened to, to kill herself. This is, was my life. And you've got to understand the reason I share this with you today is because I think it's time that we get real, and I think it's time we talk about things we haven't talked about. Well, after I get through preaching five times, I call to find out, only find out that my daughter had been institutionalized. Well, come to find out there was a new disorder out, uh, when I say a new disorder, a, a diagnosis, a mental diagnosis that was mirrored uh, borderline, it was called borderline personality disorder. It mirrored bipolar, and most uh, professionals treated these kinds of patients for bipolar, giving them medication they didn't need and medication that would not work because it's a disconnect between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex that is not developed, and it can be developed in your mind. And so what had happened was there was, uh, my daughter did not know how to take an emotional experience and, and convert that into a logical thought or how to think about that emotional experience. And so I went on to begin reading about borderline personality disorder. And uh, as I read about it, I thought this was me in my early 20s. This was me in my late teens. And so over time, God went ahead and allowed me to do the things that I've done. And uh, at the same time, without really knowing what was going on in my own mind. Now, there are three things I'm going to give us today, hopefully, that will at least begin to scratch the surface of maybe how to confront some of these things. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. And by the way, since 1999 to this day, there has been a 33% increase in suicide. To try to curb uh, or to keep it, it was taking the soul that God gave you. Therefore, it was a sin that was not addressed or, or could not be dealt with after a person died, which was to prevent suicide. The reality is this, and I want you to hear me very carefully because probably all of us, and I buried a friend of mine who was one of the best Christian men I'd ever met, and he had a mental illness, took his life literally in a church in Houston. They found him dead inside the church. And you say, well, what happens when someone takes their own life? Do they go to hell? Let me say this to you. If someone dies of cancer, do they go to hell? 
Absolutely not. You say, but that, what's the difference? The difference it, there is no difference. What I'm saying is the reality is it's a sickness. It's an illness. And if you've repented of your sin and Jesus is the Lord of your life and you are a Christian, the taking of your own life does not automatically send you to hell. Please understand this because I've had to do funerals like this and people automatically, because of late or, or historical theology, uh, many people have not known how to, to deal with this. And the reality is that it is an illness. If someone smoked their whole life, they died of cancer, that's no different than slow suicide. And so I want to address this today in the event that you have lost someone to suicide. I believe today that Jared Will's sick. Is with, and and uh, we have to address these issues in the local church. So Genesis chapter 4, Adam lay with his wife Eve. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, you can see a turn here that in this moment... Um, there became a comparison between Abel and Cain. And because of that comparison that Abel had raised the standard and said, God gets the first of everything that I, that I own, everything that is produced under my care, God gets the first. It, he wasn't trying to shame Cain, but Cain did not do the same thing. And God's pointing this out uh, when there are just four people on the earth and it says, and so Cain was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God is saying, Cain, this is not a comparison between you and Abel. I'm not trying to pit one against the other. Just do the right thing. So we can see here this comparison begins to create an anger, which in some sense you say, well, I'm not mentally ill. Well, the Bible says all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. That means that we're all ill. Which is why the Bible says that we are to renew our minds by the washing with the water of the word. The Bible brings renewal to our thought life. Our mental processes are affected and impacted when we read the Bible. People say, well, I don't, I'm not a reader. I don't like to read. I don't read the Bible. I don't get it. If you do not read the Bible, your mind will not be renewed. The Word of God brings renewal to our thoughts and our minds. Now, it doesn't mean that it is a, a ticket or a, a license out. It just simply means that we can keep our minds renewed and refreshed by the worship, uh, worship of God and, and the Word of God. So now it says, but if you do not do what crouching at your door. Sin, not me. God's not saying I'm crouching at the door. He said sin is crouching at your door. Lest we blame God for what's going on here. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Cain, you must master it. You must get over your anger. You must get over your frustration. You must get over your jealousy. You must get over the things and mad and negative all the time. That mental illness that we all have the potential to, to allow in our lives begins to become the master of our lives. I was doing all the right things, but obviously for the very wrong reasons. Because you could look at my life and people would say, man, 
look at everything he's doing, everything's going on. And so the idea is if I can make you happy, then everything in my life is going to be good, which is an absolute lie of Satan. I don't care if you're happy or not. I get to choose my happiness and my joy. Now, I want to do my best to encourage everybody, but the reality is if you're living your life to make somebody else happy or impressed or uh, intrigued, whatever it might be, you're going to be mentally ill because you're not taking care of you. You're trying to take care of everybody's image of you, picture of you. And in this case, Cain is going, well, God is looking at me and he's favoring Abel, but he's not favoring me. He told Cain exactly what to do. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse. I didn't put you there. Sin did. And driven from the ground, which opened his mouth, and receive your brother's blood from your hand. So the very first thing that we have to do is we have to confront the comparisons in life. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's not healthy to compare ourselves with other people. The minute we begin to compare our life with somebody else's life, we feed the mental illness in our life. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'll never be enough. They're so much better than me. They're more gifted than me. They're more talented than me. And I'm telling you, the devil will oftentimes allow success. He can't cause it. He won't cause it. But he will allow it for the sake of taking us down a pathway to destruction. Cain didn't go to his brother Abel and say, Abel, tell me what I need to do to gain God's favor. See, because that's humility. What do I need to do? Now, God has spoken to me, Abel, but... I don't, maybe I don't get it. See, the challenge with mental illness is, that first off, we don't want to admit we have it. Secondly, we don't want to tell anyone about it. And thirdly, if we don't, we're not going to do anything about it. And so in this case, Cain, your problem is never solved if it includes getting rid of somebody. I'm not just talking about killing them. I'm talking about divorcing them, walking out on them, neglecting them, discounting them. I'm done with them. We can never be done with anybody. Why? Because God's never done with anybody. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to spend all my time on someone who wants to continue to be stupid. But when someone humbles themselves, themselves and comes and says something, I'm going to be there. Just like I would want someone to be there for me. But in this rat race, this thing called comparing, looking at... I remember back in the day when we were growing so fast as a church that every year we were in the, listed in magazines as the top, one of the top ten fastest growing churches in America. Boy, you're talking about feeding ego. It's like eating food with preservatives. I mean, they're going to kill you quicker than you think. And so... In my mind, I'm, I, I entered this race of comparing and how am I doing and how are we doing? And did you, did you count the mice when you counted attendance? Did it move? If it moved, if it was a piece of paper being blown by the air conditioner, that's a number. I'm telling you, this is sick thinking. And what happens is 
we, we buy cars because our brother or our sister or our neighbor bought a car that's brand new. Well, I got to keep up with them. And then they buy a house. You got to keep up with them. And what we don't realize is all the while our minds are being corrupted by comparison in order to feel like we're as good as somebody else. Can I say something to you? God didn't make a mistake when he made you. You're as good as everybody God ever created. From the beginning of time to now and time to come, you're as good as anybody else. The devil, though, uses comparison to get us off focus. We start thinking only about us and how everything in life. I would ask this question. Why do you love you? Do you love you because of how intelligent you are, how beautiful you are, how influential you are, or you just love you because God loves you? We ought to love ourselves, but we need to love ourselves for the right reason. You see, I'm pretty sure I loved myself more because of what I was doing than because of who God made me. And that creates a problem in how we think. If I have an off Sunday... If I go home and listen to a sermon that I preached and I go, that really stunk. I hope everybody else didn't get it. And you begin to compare listening to somebody else, listening to yourself, which if you <coughs> ever have to listen to yourself, it's miserable. Trust me, when I hear my voice, I go, dear God, why would anybody show up? It's, it's one of those things. You just look and go, do I really sound that way? Did I say it that way? <coughs> Am I right, Jesse? You better get louder than that, son. <laughs> I'm just being real with you today that some of you have compared your whole life. You've compared yourself with your brother, your sister, a relative, a neighbor, a friend. And that will make you mentally sick. Because we never, the devil will convince you you're not good enough. The second thing is that we have to not only confront comparison issues, we have to confront criticism. Now, this was a new part, so you'll have to go with me on this. This was just written this morning. And so hopefully it'll make a little sense. And it's a little different delivery today. I wrote these words. As damaged people, our focus is usually on us and our problems. I'm not saying that we should ignore them, but we must learn how to address them. Before long, we attach ourselves to our problems and issues if we don't establish a plan to confront them. Okay? So what will happen is you will become what you think. The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. So what do you think about yourself and how do you think about yourself? And then about the time you're thinking about yourself, somebody comes along and confirms what you've been thinking. A word gets in you because we speak... The Bible says, we believe, therefore we speak. I can tell you what you believe by having a conversation with you. You can tell me what I believe by having a conversation with me. If somebody says, I'm not a negative person, but all you hear is negative words, they are a negative person. They've attached themselves to negativity. I try my very best to say positive all the time. Why? Because I know if I don't, negative will get into my brain and like battery acid begin to corrupt and corrode the holy thoughts of God. 
It goes on to say, once attached to old thoughts, we wake up every morning to those thoughts and those problems. This feeds any mental deficiency that we have, which would lead then to mental illness. I've known people who were perfectly of sound mind that so rapidly lost that sound mind by being in the wrong place with the wrong people, saying the wrong things, and listening to the wrong things. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a science, scientist of the brain, I, I, I guess a neuroscientist, I think is what she, what she is, and I had her speak for me one time, and it's probably the most interesting sermon I've ever heard in my life. She said, they can now, through scans, put you in a, they can scan your brain, and people that have had negative thoughts and negative words, they said that part of the brain is literally dark, if not black. She said, and then when you begin to speak spot positive, literally, we feed ourselves every day without ever thinking about what we're putting in us. Now, all, we have all these keto diets and all these things. We're talking about our physical well-being. But the reality is what you feed your brain, what you feed your mind, and what, feed, what you feed your heart is far more important than what you're putting in your body. Amen. And so I don't have the answer to overcoming mental illness. And I yet have not, I've not yet met anyone who does. But I do believe because of what I experienced and what I went through that these things can help. And, and what I did to, to confront mine were, were three things. I was with God every day for hours. I meditated every day. I journaled every day. I went to the gym every day. I went to counseling every week. I fought and clawed and scratched my way out by doing things I had not done consistently before. You said, well, you'd been with God. Yeah, I was with God to try to tell you what God was saying and not what God was going to tell me. I was listening for you. I was not listening for me. That's what preachers, I think, we get in the problem of. What's God want to say to the people instead of sit down and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And most of the time we're preaching to you instead of preaching what God preached to us. Well, I'm preaching today what God preached to me. Now, if this doesn't scratch where you're itching, you might want to move. And, and so, he, 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 let, me, let me create this now. Okay, so when I park a car, I'm a car freak. Y'all know that. And, and, and I love cars, and I love nice cars, and I love clean cars. I love cars that have no scratches or dents in them. And, and my wife is worse than me. But So we park in places where we can't be deemed. Now, there are times you can't do that, but... If, if I'm in one of those times, if there are five or six slots, I look for the cars that have no dents in them because people who are already dented will dent you. Hurting people hurt people, damaged people damage people, dented cars dent your car. I'm just trying to help you. And so, but we do it all the time. In our personal lives, you get with people who are dented and they don't care about dents because they're all dented up and they ain't addressed their dents and they're still going and they're still alive and you get around them and they start dinging your soul. 
negative words, trying to do things that destroy your life, that destroy your marriage, that destroy your family. Go into a smoking room at the Dallas Air situations and not expect to be affected by them. If you go into a smoking room at the Dallas airport, you're going to come out smelling like smoke. Wherever you put yourself, you must be aware of that environment because that environment is going to get off on you. So you have to know that going in. That you've got to be stronger than that environment. So David, let's just go to David for a minute. We all love David. He, ha he had to confront the criticism. Now there were, there were two different voices that David heard that day. He heard the voice of criticism from his brothers. You recall three of his oldest brothers were at war. Saul was king, and, and Goliath and the Philistines were, were there, and they were threatening Israel. And, and David's a little shepherd boy. He's just out protecting his father's sheep. He's not a man of renown at that point. He's just a boy, just a little shepherd boy. His daddy said, go take your brothers some food. They're, 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 they're men. They're out there fighting. In other words, David, you ain't nothing. You're a shepherd boy. You don't know how to use any weapons. You got your little toy sling, your little Mattel sling. So just go take him some food. You ain't nothing. So he gets there, and David becomes curious. He hears Goliath, and he goes, what will be done for the man who kills that giant? David's going, what, what, what will be done? And he said, well, you know, they, they, they won't have to pay taxes. They'll get Saul's daughter. And, and so David's three brothers hears this, and his oldest brother Eliab hears it, and he begins to criticize David for even asking a question. He's challenging David's thought life, not his skill, not his ability, but why would you even ask that question? You are so dumb. So David hears the voice of criticism from his oldest brother, his eldest brother, who is considered to be, we know Samuel anointed David, but David is not king here. But guess what? It's not what he was in that moment. It's what he was in his heart. So he listens to the voice of criticism, and then he listens to the voice of Goliath, not criticizing him now, but criticizing his God. That's enough to make you mentally ill right here is you're being criticized and then they're criticizing the God who helped you to kill the lion and the bear. Hold it. Everything about my life in that moment is coming to a halt going, what do I do? Which voice do I listen to? David opted for the third voice, the voice of God. Criticism. Right after comparison. If the devil cannot get you to compare yourself with others, he'll use others to criticize you. Our healing comes by dealing with damages we identify in ourselves. Many people place damages in places uh, that have no damage. They pin things on us that bother them. David's brother didn't have the courage to ask, even ask the question David asked. He didn't have the courage to confront the giant the way David confronted the giant. And let me just tell you, they were all waiting for the giant to kill David. Now, there wouldn't have been a lot of joy in it because typically what people like Eliab want to do is rub your nose in your failure. When, when you're dead, it's kind of hard to rub a dead man's nose in his failure. 
But at least he would be free of having to compare himself with his little brother, David. We all, to some degree, and you're not going to like me when I say this, but the reality is we're mentally challenged. And until we address it and acknowledge it, we'll never overcome it. Because you never beat the enemy that you don't fight. You will never defeat the enemies you don't confront. If you live in denial, you will live a damaged life. I am very aware today that I still have tendencies that I have to guard with everything in me. And I don't like anger at all. I believe anger is one of the most toxic emotions that we will ever deal with in our lives. Angry people are sick people. I included me in that. I could get angry at the drop of a hat back in the day. And you know what? People loved the idea that it made you look. We call it, he's so passionate. He has such conviction. No, he's an idiot. That's how it should have been perceived. But, but when someone has, it's mistaken, it's called confidence. I watch some coaches on the NFL sidelines. They're screaming the whole time. They have no voice at the end of the game. And then you have a Tom Landry in a fedora walking the sidelines and loving Jesus and winning Super Bowls. And yet men are so dumb, women aren't as given to this, but men are so dumb to think the louder and the more angry a man is, the more committed and more conviction he has. No, he has issues. You can feed mental illness. You can feed it like you feed your body bad food. And it is scientifically proven that people who are angry release poisonous toxins into their body. It doesn't mean they don't go to heaven. It doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. And it certainly doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love them. It just means that they have not found the love of Jesus for their own life enough to not get mad at other people. And I'm telling you, I admit with everything in me, I hate. If I could go back and raise my kids again, I'd raise them again. Oh, I had, I had every dream of, of them becoming everything God wanted them to become. I just don't think I did it right. And I can stand here today. I don't need pity. I don't need any of that. I'm just standing here today to let you know it's okay to find out you were wrong if you're willing to admit it. That's what frees you. It's not ever having done anything wrong, but I'm not going to live in the past, but being able to say, I, I didn't do it right. I wish I would have done it differently. I'm not going to live in the past, but I am going to learn from the past. And I'm not living the rest of my life angry. I'll live alone on the desert in the backside of nowhere before I give myself to anger again. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't do anybody any good. And I believe it is the number one cause. uh, uh, Well, not the number one. I believe it's a great cause for people who have mental illness. And, and, And so... We live a damaged life because we can function. You know, there are cars out in the parking lot right now probably with dented quarter panels and dented hoods, and those suckers are still running. We don't know how. 
but they still run. They're dented and damaged. They still run. A lot of people say, well, you know, I'm dented and damaged. I've, I've been neglected. I've been rejected. I've been abused. I've been, and, 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 but you never addressed it because you're still running. You're still functioning, and you can do that. But the reality is God wants to do this paintless dent removal thing on your soul. He wants to pop out the dents. He wants to make it all new. But unless you give it to God and say, you know, God, I'm pretty banged up. What can you do about it? He said, what do you want me to do? You have not because you ask not. Nobody wants to be mentally ill. And then the last thing after, after comparison and criticism is this, change. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? I want to change. I am not the person I want to be. I, I, I'm okay with who I am today, but the Bible says we're called to go from glory to glory. And anybody who doesn't want to change, you're going to be stuck where you are. And guess what? If you stay where you are and, and, and 10 years from now, you're the same person you are today, you've wasted 10 years. You say, well, I'm good enough right now. There you go. You've just told me who you are. Insecure, unwilling, and unable to say, I think I can do better. I think I can love better. I think I can care better. I think I can do all these things. It's, and it's not, it's not for the sake of me impressing you. It's for the sake of me being more like Jesus. Because that's what Jesus would do. He just want to love you, care for you. And anything in our lives, fallen man, mind of Christ is subject to the mind of fallen man. We're not running from our mental challenges, deficiencies, illnesses. We're running to the one who paid the price for us to be whole in spirit, mind, and body. You say, I'm damaged goods. You'd be surprised. God's been taking dents out of me now. Because I just, I just pull my, every day I just pull myself up into that, that stall. And I say, God, just bang this one out before I go out today. Yeah. Tomorrow I'll pull back in. I say, get up in the morning. Say, God, would you take that dent out? I found out yesterday that I got a ding somewhere. I didn't know I was dinged. Ding it. Don't ever be ashamed of who you are. Don't ever be ashamed of who you're not. Because God loves you just the way you are. And with that said, well, if he loves me the way I am, why do I need to change? Because when you feel that love, you are compelled to change. Because that love compels us to be different. Let's surrender to that today. Father, thank you for sending your only son to not just forgive us of our sin and empower us to go to heaven, but to enable us to have the mind of Christ. The Apostle Paul said, do you not know that we have the mind of Christ? That's not the question any longer. Are we utilizing the mind of Christ? Are we exercising the mentality of God? Lord, I pray for all those today who are in mental health institutions, those who are experiencing anxiety today, fear and torment, shame. Free them today, God, to step into the light, into a place of healing and beginning of restoration.
we judge not or we will be judged. Lord, I pray for Jared's family today and those that knew him and were close to him. Comfort them today. I thank you for the time that was spent on earth that he dedicated to you and leading people to know you. Nothing will diminish the efforts and the commitment he had to serve you, God. But may we not forget that his life represents so many lives in our own world that we will take steps, utilize different measures, whatever it takes to not remove people who are mentally challenged, but to embrace them as you call us to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be those of you that have not accepted Christ. He is the beginning of all healing, spirit, mind, and body. Every other type of healing, He is the beginning. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And uh, I want to pray. And I want to ask those of you that are not followers of Christ at this point to pray this with me. And I want to ask everybody to pray it with me. But maybe you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him. Today would be a great day for that. The beginning of healing in every way. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What He did thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, He is doing today. God is not removed from us. He is present among us. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin and I confess with my mouth, you are my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Amen.